0: Heavenly Father, what a privilege you would speak to us. And I pray that your word would come with a sort of hope and clarity. And this text would just infuse joy in us. That we wouldn't come to it like any other book, no matter how influential or helpful that book is. We wouldn't come just as ink on a page. But what it really is, you're living an active word. And that God, the truths that we hear would sink down into our hearts that through the work of the Spirit, you might open our eyes and open our ears and open our minds, but that it might lodge in our hearts. We kind of have the, the, the sort of resilient hope that a text like this can give us. What we ask more than anything else, what we ask every single week as we gather, whether people are close to you or far away, God, whether they've walked with you for decades or they somehow ended up here this morning and they're not even sure how they came in, but what every single person needs most is to leave this time more impressed more convinced, more confident, more hopeful in the work that Jesus alone has done and that he promises to bring to completion. So we ask, Holy Spirit, you would lift him high that you might draw our hearts after him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I, I'm a hymn guy. I love I love hymns, kind of the longer songs with all the the verses. I don't care if they're old hymns, uh, new hymns, as long as they're they're biblically saturated. And I find that hymns are some of the the densest, uh, theologically rich songs. Um, Probably my favorite hymn writer is um, a guy named Isaac Watts. He was challenged by his dad when he was really young that he, he was like, I don't like the music in our church. I don't like the songs. It feels like our hearts aren't connecting." so his dad actually challenged him and said, well, if you don't like it, then write some new hymns that we can sing. And that began his career of hymn writing. He's probably one of the most prolific hymn writers. Hymns like, like this, when I surveyed the wondrous cross, oh, it's a good one, which the prince of glory died. I mean, just an incredible, incredible hymn. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? I love, listen to this hymn title. This is probably what I love about hymns. Is the only place you get this in contemporary Christian music is if you're doing a hymn or you're listening to like Christian rap music. Then you get like this sort of density to your (laughs) theological statements. Listen to this hymn title. Show pity, O Lord, O Lord, forgive. Let a repenting rebel live. And that's a great title. He's most well-known, though. There's one hymn he wrote. That, that the majority of people have heard and have likely sung. It's based on Psalm 98. And if I was going to say, what is like the, the, the hymn that's sung most this season, during this season of the year, that the most sung hymn, you think like most people sung, whether you're in a church, not a church, Christian, not a Christian, what hymn do you think it is? Anyone know what song it is? Start, it starts with a J, then an oy. I think I might have heard it. Joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Isaac Watts wrote that hymn based on Psalm 98, but here's what's both tragic and crazy. This is sung almost only at Christmas time, but it's not a Christmas hymn. He didn't write it for Christmas. He didn't write it for Christmas because it's based on a psalm that talks about a great king returning. It's actually not the birth of Jesus that he's writing about. It's actually the return of Jesus. It's when Jesus comes back. It's not about Christmas, but really it's about the new creation. It's it's what began at Christmas when God came to earth and wrapped himself in flesh. But it's really about when Jesus returns to the earth to bring a new creation. I want you to listen to the lyrics of the third verse, which in my humble opinion are like the best It's like the best verse in the song, but nobody sings it anymore. Like if you go and you look at it used to be in hymnals, but then it gets pulled out. If you go and you look at like Hillsong's version of it, you go look at like Elevation Worship's version of it, you listen to it on the radio, this is the verse that's missing and it's tragic. It is criminal that it's missing. Criminal. I'll tell you. All right. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. It's this cosmic scope of the work of Christ that everything that's broken will get mended. Thorns and sin and sorrows that have been fermenting and infiltrating all of creation Since Genesis 3, since the third chapter of the Bible, when when humanity went sideways and broke this world, finally vanquished in Christ, emptied of all of its poison and all of its power. All of them, things like backaches, things like indigestion, things like war, things like loneliness, things like hunger, Things like slow internet speed. (laughs) As far as the curse is found, every frustration, every disappointment, every trauma, grand and minute. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And this is not what Jesus did at his birth. That's why his hymn, while it's hymn, it's not about his birth, it's about his coming back. Um, I love how Alyssa Pobletti says it. She says it like this. The world is not sin-free. The world is not void of sorrow. And then she says this, not yet. Not yet. And that statement captures perfectly what this season of Advent is. This four-week run-up to, to Christmas has historically been celebrated by the church, not actually to, to focus on the, the first coming of Christ when he was born as a baby, but actually to anticipate his return, this, this, this longing, this come-thou-long-expected Jesus, and finally complete what you've promised to do when everything is set right. No hostility, no thorns, no curse, no death, no tears, no sorrow. And it's coming. That's what's coming. Revelation 21, we're going to look at uh, the second to last chapter of the Bible. We're going, to, we're going to look at the end. And what we're going to see It's a glorious preview of the not yet that we can anticipate. We're going to look at three things. Everything sad will stop. The best is yet to come. And it is God guaranteed. Everything sad will stop. The best is yet to come. And it is guaranteed by God. God, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? Revelation chapter 21, verses one through eight. This is God's flawless, wonderful, hope-producing word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was sitting on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without Everything sad will stop. And we're going to look at a few handles on this. The reality is this, these eight verses are so loaded. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks lingering over them. So we'll just jump into a few parts of this. Um, the first one is this. This new heaven and new earth that come down. And this statement that the former things have passed. There's a, there's a, a new creation coming. That, that this world in its present form is passing. and There's a new world to come. Now, there's a lot of debate about... Uh, What if this world continues on into the next? Like what parts of this creation will actually end up in the new creation? And scholars and theologians and Bible readers throughout the millennium have differed on exactly what carries over or what doesn't. And the point I want to make is not exactly what's there, but the point of these verses is this. This first earth that is prone to decay will one day give way to a world that is not. Things that are fading will one day be Substantial and stable. Romans chapter 8, 19 through verse 22 picks up this idea. For the creation, not not just us, not just humans, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. This is talking about the third chapter of the Bible. God creates, he speaks this beautiful, perfect paradise into the world. And and you had humanity there with no animosity, no fighting, no anger, no hurt, no sorrow, no discomfort, no no getting up in the middle of the night because you can't sleep through None, none of that. It was none of it. And then the third chapter comes and what you see is humanity rebel from God. And what they didn't just do was break the relationship between themselves and God or break the relationship between each other, but actually break creation. And so it's groaning But it's doing so in hope that the creation itself, verse 21, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And you could, maybe you could put on that, you could say like, okay, creation's groaning and we see plagues and famines and, and pestilence and volcanoes erupting. Or, or maybe you put like, this is climate change and all different things. I like when I think of this and I think about how this world is prone to decay, I think of guacamole. That's what I, that's what I like to, I, to think of, is I think about guacamole, which is one of the greatest gifts God's ever given us. Anyone? I mean... I praise God for the day when we made enough money, when you went to get like tacos, you didn't have to say like, can I get the guacamole or not? It's like, give me a double portion, please. So I love, I love guacamole. I'm a middle-aged man. It doesn't love me as much anymore, but I still love guacamole. But here's the thing, it is prone to decay. Oh, you can make the best bowl of guacamole ever. But if, if you don't treat it just right, kick gloves, it turns brown like that. It just starts to oxidize so quickly. No matter what you do, you can't preserve it. Like, you just can't keep it. It's not good. Day after, two days after, who wants to eat three-week-old guacamole? Anyone? (laughs) It is crying out. The guacamole is crying out in the pains of labor until it doesn't turn brown, until it doesn't get oxidized. What I love about that is that if God cares that much about the oxidization of guacamole, something so small, how much more does he care about the big stuff? The really important stuff. The stuff that really matters. And this new heaven and new earth saying all of it from the, the smallest little thing to the grandest. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. I'll give you another example of this. My wife and I, Katie, we've been talking about getting tattoos for like 20-something years. Still haven't done it. Likely won't. You know, we keep watching these tattoo shows and like the fails. And we're like, oh, man. You know, we're like, okay, we're in. And then you see the fail. And it's like, no, we're not doing it. I don't want, I don't want that. But I know for certain the kind of tattoo my wife would get. If she gets a tattoo, here's the very first one she gets right on the inside of her arm. She's gonna, It's like fine, like black, fine line, black with cursive, just this word grace. It'll come up, kind of form like a stem. And then it is finely drawn rose. All the little petals. But here's the thing that will not be on that tattoo. There'll be no thorns. Because it's a picture of the new creation. See, thorns are there to protect the the plant from getting ravaged. Thorns are there to do self-protection because we're in a hostile world. And I don't know if this is true, but I like to think it is. Every time I prune the roses and get stabbed by them, that in the new creation, we'll have roses without thorns. Oh, he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. That's the new heavens. That's the new earth. And we have this really interesting statement. There's a series of these things that pass away. One of the things that passes away, we see it here at the very end of verse 1. It's this little phrase, and the sea was no more. Now, to, to understand what that means, you got to understand what the sea represented in, at this time. The sea was a place of evil. It's a place where evil emerged. It was a place of chaos. It was a place that was uncontrollable. It was a place that any moment could, could yield its, its, its power to corrupt and to break and to cause harm. Something it's is mind-blowing to me that COVID, the first time I heard about COVID was three years ago. It just blew me away. You know, COVID-19. And I was thinking about this, and this isn't about like, well, you think about vaccines and masks and all these different things, but the the impact that it had into our world. It came out, the microscopic, something you can't even see. Just all of a sudden, the entire world is thrown into chaos. And you think about all the impacts of this, the dominoes that got sent in motion that we will be living with in some ways for decades. You think about kids and being locked down and on, on screens and not around friends and just the educational pit stop that it took. You think about all the lost time with, with, with just just other human beings and all the toll that that took on people's um, just mental well-being. You just think about supply chains. And it's just stunning. You think about the supply chain issues. I think about this. Every time I drive down Iowa Street with, where all the car dealerships are, and you drive by particularly the Honda dealership, and there's like three cars on it. It's a car dealership. Because you can't get... Uh, Computer chip. I don't want to talk about policy and all that. I just said it's, 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 the, it's the sea. It's the, the chaos of that which is almost uncontrollable, just shows up. And, and this is seen in the new creation, that'll never happen again. There'll never be that. Now, now the, there will be water. There will there'll definitely be water because Hawaii is basically heaven, except it's free. Um, it's free. So it's like, there will be water. The Bible talks about that, but it was seen as the chaos and the threat of the sea and all of its evil will be no more. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And our ruined cities will be remade. You see this like new Jerusalem, this holy city Jerusalem coming out from heaven down to earth, like a bride adorned for us, precious, pursued and loved. These words uh, originally in Revelation 21 were written to people that just had Jerusalem destroyed. The, the center of their worship, the center of their, not just religious life, their social life, their civic life, their, their, their tradition, everything had just been destroyed. Imagine the kind of comfort that these words brought in, that the, this, the new city, the thing that you loved will one day be restored to you, but better. C.S. Lewis in his um, Series The Chronicles of Narnia with this mythic retelling of the storyline of the Bible and good and evil, and eventually it ends with really what is his kind of colorful way of talking about Revelation 21 and 22, this new creation. In his book, The Last Battle, it shows this scene. The last scene, I believe, is this vivid picture of the new heavens and new earth. And in the final scene of the book, all the main characters. That some had given their their they'd lost their lives in the great battles and the wars. They, they, they'd, they'd been on so many challenging adventures, faced so much adversity, and they're finally entering into the new heavens and the new earth, and they're telling jokes with each other. They're saying, Oh my goodness, you're here too. And they're reconnecting with old friends, and they're, they're laughing, they're celebrating, there's just amazement. And then Lewis actually draws attention to, to this incredible picture. It's not just that the people are restored but it's actually all the good places are restored to. They begin to see all the, the homes that were destroyed. They see the places that were wrecked and they see them in the new creation, but back better. And there's this little line, I've read this series multiple times and I hadn't seen this until this last year when I was re-reading it. It has this, this, this line that says this, is there a stunt at seeing all of these old places, all these old things back, but better. And there's this line that says, no good thing is destroyed. Not a single thing. What's gonna be in the new creation? How that's all, I don't, I don't know, but I know this: no good thing will be lacking. That God will bring it all back. Everything, everything this sin-soaked and sin-sick world takes, you get back. But you get it back better. Again, that's why, why I love this verse from Watts. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And then it goes on in this text and it gets very personal he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And every parent knows this in the moments when they actually feel slightly rested and they're not angry or tired or hurting, but when your baby begins to cry and in the middle of the night you go in to their nursery or they're in a bassinet next to you or wherever they are and you hear them crying out of so much distress whatever it is that's troubling them, and you reach down with your hand and you put your hand on his or her back and begin to rub or to comfort. And then at some point you pick this child up and put her in your arms I remember the very first time I got to do this for one of my children, my oldest daughter, Emma. I remember being in the hospital the very first night and she begins to cry. And you know that, that newborn cry? Which, and, and I praise God for two, th- well, for one thing, really, that they're too small to make it super, super loud. I mean, imagine if they were a five-year-old doing that, but they, but they, but they cry with their lungs and then they get that little chatter. And they just, they, there's like the newborn baby cry chatter. I remember holding Emma. And I just begin to to bounce her and I begin to sing and Isaac Watts him over her. And I say, it's okay. And there's this this thing that happens, not always, but but you praise God when it does, is that your little baby girl, she takes a big breath and then another, and then just exhales and her body just rests. You put her up on your shoulder and she falls asleep and you take your thumb and you wipe the tears off her cheek. God promises to do that. He says, You're not alone. You're not unseen. Your tears matter. I'm, it's not that they don't matter, but I'm, I'm going to say they, they can be done now. Because there's nothing to hurt you, nothing to harm you, nothing to scare you, nothing to wreck ever again. And the text says, The reason is because he will be with us. We'll be like sons and daughters stand. No estrangement. No wondering if anyone cares. It's God saying, I'm here now. It's okay. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And it's not that he just removes the tears. He actually removes permanently everything that would ever cause the tears. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, verse 4, and death shall be no more. Just let that settle on you for a minute. Death shall be no more. I drive by... I drive on Lakeway every day, and I drive by the cemetery that's over there, and it's like that ground will be reclaimed for life in the new creation. Not just to remember the people that we've lost. God will reclaim that place and say, this place is unnecessary in the world to come. No goodbyes, no memorial services, no funerals. Thinking about this a lot where there's a, a new commercial out by Fred Meyer, um, one of these animated commercials, this commercial that's come out this holiday season, and it is my least favorite commercial. And if you were part of creating it, I'm sorry, but, it, but I, I dislike it. Thoroughly, And, and I, I hate all commercials. That's why we have DVRs now, so we don't have to watch commercials. But, but this commercial, it's a scene of this, this elderly guy, and he's in his kitchen, and he's got like this white stubble beard. It looks like he hasn't shaved maybe in a week, and he's surrounded by pots and pans and things to cook. And it's, it's, it's supposed to be very sweet, and I'm sure it is, and I'm sure it's heartwarming and all these things. But he's around all these things to cook, and he's in the kitchen, and he just looks sad, and he's opening up the, the recipe book, and he sees his wife's handwriting, and then you get this flashback moment to like when they met and then he goes back into the kitchen and he's kind of chopping something and he tastes a bite of like one of the recipes and and it flashbacks to like their wedding and then it shows like their life together and it shows them having kids and and then at the end of the scene his granddaughter comes in who looks just like his wife and kind of gives him a hug and they they connect but the thing I hate about the commercial is his wife isn't there I say I hate this commercial because I don't want that. And Katie or I are going to have to say goodbye to each other likely at some point. All of us do. Death's an enemy. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Like that's, it's an enemy to be destroyed and to be vanquished. And Jesus says he'll do it. Jesus says he'll do it. And everything we've lost, will get back better because we'll never have to say goodbye again. Death will be no more. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. There's no crying also because there's no pain. It goes on there's no, there's no, there's no death, there's no mourning, there's no crying, there's no pain. All the things that cause distress from the grand things to the small things, all of it gone. All of it done. There's no physical, emotional, relational, psychological. There's no distress. None of it. It's hard for it's it is impossible for us to get that because we live in a world that has those things. Oh, we're in a world with beautiful, good, and right things. And we I pray we get to celebrate a ton of that stuff over these next few weeks. But these things flood in, they come in. Now, last winter I was listening to Andrew Peterson's uh, Book God of the Garden, when I was going on these trail runs in the woods, and I'm listening to this book, and for me it just really resonated. I loved this book. And there was a question he asked uh, kind of towards the maybe the first third of the book, and, and it caused me to just stop and kind of weep in the woods. And he asked this question. He said, How old were you when you first realized the world was broken? And I had to stop because I remember. And a lot of us have that. Well, a lot of us have those moments. You go, oh, this man, this world is good, but there's something off with it. It's the curse. It's a thing that's been fermenting and infiltrating since Genesis 3. But this text says one day it'll be no more. One day the former things have passed away. Oh, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. All of the sad things will stop. Everything sad will stop. And the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come, and the key to getting that is to do what this text says in verse five. It says, "Behold," like really lay aside, really let your imagination, like really focus that, look through everything in this world, and look to this. Look at the look at the end game reality. Look at the not yet illustration of what's happening at the end of the world and really the beginning of the world that matters. You know, behold, and prepping for a vacation. I don't know what you like to do. I think most people like to do this. I think I've actually read a few uh, studies on this, that, that actually there's more joy in prepping for the vacation than actually going on the vacation. And that's kind of crazy, right? So I tried that with my wife. I said, can we just prep for vacations and not go on vacations? And she said, no. So, but, but, so I try to lay hold of the, <laughs> the best season of, of, of the vacation, which is prepping. And you know what it is? Because you're like online and you're, you're looking at, okay, where, what's the beach we want to go to? Like, when's the, what's the best happy hour on Maui? Like, where's the place we really want to go spend? Where's the best snorkeling? What's the best season to go? Like, where's the restaurants with the most clever or creative food? Like, what are the activities we want to do as a family? And all of this time, what you're doing is you're beholding. You're, you're looking forward and you're saying, oh, I want that. Oh, I want that. What if we started taking that mentality, this sort of like prepping for vacation mentality, and put it into our lives. What if we took a text like this, this Advent-rich text, this thing that says this is what's coming and began to, to, to see our lives with this, begin our days with this, end our days with this. this? Sort of Advent mentality, Advent meaning arrival, this like we're longing not just for the first arrival of Christ but the return of Christ when what he began at his birth he will bring to completion as a king. I would suggest to you the entire Bible has been on Advent watch since Genesis 3. Since the world got broken, People have been, oh, come fix it. Fix it. When Christ came as a baby, he said, I've begun. And when I come back, I will bring it to completion. When waiting the one that removes all the sad things and makes all things new. And that's what this text says Behold, behold, look at it, stare at it. I am making all things new. And it, it doesn't just mean like once. The word making means over and over and like better and better and better. It's like, you, you, it's never going to get tiresome. It's never going to get boring. The new creation, the new heavens, new earth, eternity, time with the Lord and with everything good will just be better and better and better. We talked about this a little bit last week. If you were here out of Isaiah chapter nine, verse seven, this promise that's given about Christ. And it says this, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end not just that peace will go on and on, but the increase of it, that it'll continue to happen. See, God is making all things new over and over. The best is yet to come and we'll continually get better and better. And better, you'll never hit the end of it. And this is captured again in C.S. Lewis in the last battle in this final book before they get to the new heavens and new earth, or before we say the new heavens and new earth comes to the, these characters. They're they're on this journey, and they're at the end. The battles are done. Everything's fought. The victory's secure, and they begin to they begin to make this this trek towards towards the new heavens, and they, they begin to run. And then this, you have, you know, humans and you got different figures. You got, you got all sorts of different creatures. You got like, I don't know, I think you got like a unicorn. You got some winged animal, like a horse. And they're all going. And they're running together. And, the, and as they're running, nobody gets tired. They just begin to run faster and faster and nobody gets tired. And then there's this mantra. There's this like motto, this slogan that's said over and over again. This invitation, come further up and further in. It's this way of saying there's more to see. You haven't arrived yet. And so they are running and they're running. And they're going faster and faster. It's as if they're they're gliding on the grass. And then they get to this giant lake and they just keep running. And they're running on top of the water. They're like hydrofoil on top of the water. They're just going and going and going. And then they come to a waterfall. And you're like, oh, there can't be more. And it's like, no, come further up, further in. They begin to run up the waterfall. They just like, and I just get this image of like with the horse going, Roo-ro-ro-ro. and they're running up the waterfall. You know, clippity clod, They're running, right? And they're going so fast. God, I'm not sorry. Um, (laughs) Behold, imagine, imagine. Come further up and further in. There's more to see. C.S. Lewis, I'll I'll quote him here from The Last Battle. And it references this lion, this this figure Aslan, who's like this Christ-like figure. And here they're in the new creation. and, and, And this is what happens after Revelation 21 and 22. This is what happens when you close your eyes and you wake up in eternity. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Come further up and further in. Oh, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. I love the way Scott Saul says, if we take this kind of poetic imagery, just put it on the ground. This is God's promise to you in Christ, in the new creation. There is coming a day when we, his beloved children, by faith, will feel younger, stronger, smarter, faster, happier, and more rested, tended to, and full-hearted than we can even dream about currently. Our work will be fulfilling, even fun. Our play will be epic and unending. Our connection with God and each other will be a deep source of joy and fulfillment. Honesty will be effortless. Love will be the norm. Just imagine that. Like, what was the heyday of your life physically? That's nothing compared to what's coming. It's the moment in relationships that were, you just had that stretch. It was like, wow, things are good. That would be nothing compared to what's coming. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And the reality is this matters now. This isn't just, okay, one day. One day this is going to happen. No, this this matters now. In a world of infertility. And of hunger and drought and war. National fracture. It matters in a world of marital and relational disunity and dissonance. It matters in a world where kids sometimes grow up and wander away. It matters in a world with Parkinson's. It matters. Remember what Elissa Pobletti said? The world is not sin-free. The world is not void of sorrow. Not yet. Would you, would you say those last two words with me? Not yet. I'll do it one more time. Not yet. So that's a defiance to the brokenness right now because of the beauty that's coming. Oh, and it's, it's coming. And the more that we, we get this image in front of us, I mean, the people at this time, like I said, their city was ruined, but they were facing great persecution. There was a lot of reasons to give up hope and live discouraged. And God spoke into their condition and he speaks into your circumstances, whatever they are. They might be wonderful right now, but there's always the threat. He says, oh, one day the threat will be gone. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Everything saddles stop. The best is yet to come, and it is absolutely guaranteed. Let me read the verses again. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirst I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. I mean, the whole text says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to wipe away the tears. I'm going to be the God who's with you. I'm going to reclaim you as sons and daughters. I'm going to bring a new creation. I'm going to bring a, a, a holy city adorned like a broad. I will do it. It will be finished. And then this beautiful offering. this is who it's invited. This is who gets to come. This is who in this room gets to come. Listen to this line. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is used in the Bible multiple times as the invitation to salvation. This is the invitation to believe, to lay hold of the promises in here, but to do so with empty hands. Do you bring nothing to it? You bring nothing. You bring nothing. I bring nothing to it except need and thirst. And he says, oh, if you'll come, I'll let you feast. I'll let you feast. God offers this salvation without cost to anyone that will receive it. Last Christmas, one of my buddies, uh, he texted me along with uh, five other really good friends, and he was like... I wanna take you guys all out for Christmas. I love you guys. I wanna spend some time together. We're gonna to go to Seattle. I'm gonna take you to my favorite steak restaurant, and I want you to order anything you want. I want. you to eat and drink anything you want with no regard to price, and then we're gonna to go to a Kraken game, and we're gonna go watch the Kraken play. I got, uh, I guess there was six of us total. There's four seats, kinda of center ice, up top looking down, and then there's two seats behind the goal, and what we'll do is we'll rotate through the, the periods, and, and he says, are, are you interested? I'm like, yes. <laughs> I am very interested. So, so we go down to this steak place, and it was literally like just get whatever you want. You know, orders tons of apps, all this stuff, and it's like if any of you ordered the chicken, you grab one of the steak knives. If any of you ordered the chicken, <laughs> I'll stab you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> It was like, you know, get the Wagyu beef sampler. Get what, what you know, if, if you're into bourbon, get whatever bourbon. If you want a Diet Coke, I don't know, get 12 of them. Like, but, but it was, like, get whatever you want. Save room for dessert. And we sat there and we feasted. And when that bill came, we all went to the bathroom and he paid for it. <laughs> and we went over to CenturyLink and it used to be a key arena. The last time I'd been there was watching the Sonics play. And you want to know where the curse is? The fact that the Sonics got stolen from our city? (laughs) Oklahoma will not be in the new heavens and new earth. That is not one of the places that gets to be here. (sighs) But man, we're there. And if you haven't been to one of these games, and you don't even need to like hockey. I mean, just the pregame alone was stunning. The lights, the music, everything they did was crazy. And then sitting down, you know, two rows up behind the goal. Oh, it was phenomenal. And it cost me Nothing. It cost my buddy quite a bit. (laughs) It was really expensive. I love Watts' line, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. It's cosmically comprehensive, but it's personally applied to us. And the way Christ does this is actually by becoming a curse for us. See, he empties all of the venom, all of the judgment, all of the punishment that we deserve for what we broke in Genesis 3 and have every single person ever since that we've all wandered from God. We've all done it. And Christ came and said, I'll be the one that doesn't. When he got born as a baby, to be made like us in every single way, it's so that somebody could pass the test, so that somebody could stay faithful. And Christ did. He did all of the obeying. See, this baby that was born in a wooden manger, one day would grow up and he would go to a wooden cross. And he would go to that wooden cross for every single person that cannot pay for their standing with God, that has nothing in their pocket, has nothing in their hands to bring except need and sin. And he took the just judgment that we deserve under the wrath of God as the ultimate expression of the curse that we brought and all the stuff we broke. And then he went to a tomb and it looked like the curse won. But three days later, he rose from the dead triumphantly saying, no, no, no. It just, I love the line from John Owen. It says, when when death stung Christ, it stung itself to death. There's none left for us. There's none left for anyone here who trusts in Jesus with no payment. You got nothing, but you get everything. Oh, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And anyone can get in on this. You just say you need it. I read verse 8 there at the beginning. Um, I'll read it again. It's got to feel like the most non-Christmas verse you've ever heard in your life. But as for the cowardly, the faceless, the like, that's not on the Hallmark card greeting. When you were doing your family cards, this is probably not the verse that you put on there. But why it's so helpful is what it's saying is there's a new creation coming that's not broken and no one will be able to break it again. See, Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible, in many ways, mirror the first two chapters of the Bible. But in those chapters, God had created, in the very beginning, he created a perfect world, a a flawless paradise of beautiful relationships and unfettered time with God. But then chapter 3 comes, and we messed it up. But there's no chapter after 22. There's no messing it up after Christ comes back. No one will be able to mess it up again. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. All the sad things gone, the best stuff to come, God guarantees it, and it will never get broken again. As Alyssa Pobletti said, the world is not sin free, the world is not void of sorrow. Help me out with this not yet. Let's pray. God, I don't know where people's hearts are at. I thank you that this time of year is full of really great stuff, but also challenging stuff. And it always is. That's life. That's life post-Genesis 3 and pre-Revelation 21. And perhaps what we need is the seven words of behold, I am making all things new. Maybe that's what our souls need. To believe that, to know that, to trust that. Maybe what we need is the missing verse from joy to the world. That sins and sorrows will not grow. And thorns will not infest the ground. And the reason is because, Jesus, you became a curse for us to empty all the poison out, to defang it, and to reverse it. May your blessings flow into our lives, into our relationships, into our finances, into our physical health, into our mental capacities. As far as this curse is found in God, we know until Jesus comes back that won't be complete. But we live with these two words, not yet because one day it will be real. Make the truth of this text, make the, the, the glories of Christmases even grander than God being born, because what it began is unimaginable. And the beauty is beyond describing. And what we're living right now is just the title page to the great adventure of which every chapter will get better and better, all because of Christ, and offered to anyone who will receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to respond as we do every single week as a church by responding through receiving communion. This is a time where we get to, to really, I would say, put a text like this into practice. Come thirsty. Come hungry. Come, come with empty hands. Come without payment. Just come with need. And go to this table. There's um, juice and bread on this side. And there's wine and bread on this side. They should be marked. There's a gluten-free option, I believe, in that back corner. Whatever, whatever it is that works better for you, but just come come without payment, just come with need. And let the down payment that Christ has given, the, the, the bread represents his body, the juice representing his blood let the down payment that Christ has come to undo the curse, to remove it, to suffer the consequences of it, and to invite us to a new creation. Let it fuel you and feed you that we could go out of this place, not just for the next few weeks of Advent, but for whatever years and time God gives us to see this world through the lens of Revelation 21. He comes to make his blessings flow. As far as the curse is found in any nook and cranny in your life, no matter how small, no matter how big, no matter how lingering, no matter how threatening, just retell that story. Go to this table as you feel led.